If you take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If you're visiting with us, you can pull that black Bible out in the chair in front of you. I believe it's on page, go towards the back, sorry. And then I believe you'll find on page 143, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 2. We're going to read verses 2 through 16. We're going to do uh, all of chapter 7, relatively speaking, except for verse 1. Do all of, study all of chapter 7 this morning. Again, 2 Corinthians 7, 2 through 16. Page 143 in that black Bible. Let's read. Make room for us. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. I do not speak to condemn you. For I've said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I'm filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy at all our affliction. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But afflicted on every side, conflicts without fears within But God, who comforts the lowly, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he declared to us, your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Verse 9, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful unto repentance. For you're made sorrowful according to God. In order that you might not suffer loss in anything by us. Verse 10, for the sorrow that is according to God works repentance unto salvation without regret. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For look, what earnest is this very thing, this sorrow unto God, according to God, has produced in you what vindication of yourselves, indignation, fear, longing, zeal, vengeance, and everything you demonstrate yourselves to be pure in the matter. So although I wrote to you, not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the one offended, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you, in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoice even much more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus, it proved to be true. And his affection abounds all the more toward you remembering the obedience of you all, you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. There's one scene in a movie that's set in the 1700s. A pirate ship was being chased by a Spaniard ship. 
pirate ship was about to go into an area that would surely destroy their ship. And the Spaniards are like, oh, this is great. We have them. The captain of the pirate ship told his crew to throw their ropes across and to grab hold of this rock that was going to be on their left. And they were like, you got to be crazy. They're arguing, and of course, within the movie, it's seconds, right, that this is all happening. Uh, so she's trying to convince his crew. Finally, they said, okay, we'll do it. They threw their ropes. They cast it over there on the rock. And the captain turned the wheel, and the ship, as it grabbed the hold of the rock, again, this is the movies, as it grabbed the hold of the rock, it turned the ship all the way around, made a 180-degree turn. The Spaniards' wide, the eyes were wide, this big, you know, wide-eyed, everything. Oh, no, cannons, everything. And so, blah, blah, blah. What's my point? Why am I bringing this up? Because that's the very thing you see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. The actual turning, actually we'll go this way, turning of the ship. They're turning in the right direction now. Finally, the Corinthian church was turning in the right direction and the only reason why was because God's effective work that was being done in their hearts. Now we have a somewhat of a contrast paradox, so to speak, boasting in your weakness, boasting in the Lord, and they, they go together. That's kind of the theme of 2 Corinthians, right? And we follow that theme. Today we'll definitely see a contrast. World working sorrow, God working sorrow. God working sorrow, world working sorrow. Truly a contrast. To the Corinthians, they thought one was this, the other was that. They thought world-working sorrow was this, and yet they were gravely mistaken. They thought God-working sorrow was something like that. They were gravely mistaken. Here Paul teaches them, this is true godly sorrow. This is world-working sorrow. Here's a statement for you. God working sorrow works in the hearts of God's people by bringing true repentance so that they embrace God's word and the messenger of that word resulting in great joy and comfort for God's messenger and for God's people. That's what this chapter is about. A turn in the right direction or if anything, just kind of maybe instead of keeping going this way, it actually went neutral. You can put it that way, the Corinthian church. God working grief or sorrow has begun to work in them. So in essence, in this chapter, Paul is saying, you're going in the right direction. Keep going that way. Don't stop. Keep in that direction. You're making room for us in your hearts. Keep moving in that direction. Stop listening to these super apostles, the the loyal opposition. I'm here for your benefits. I'm not here to destroy you, says Paul. So God working sorrow, it works in the hearts of God's people by bringing to repentance so they embrace God's word and the messenger of that word resulting in great joy and comfort for God's messenger and God's people. Another statement. God working sorrow places oneself under the authority of God and his messenger, knowing that we're all under the authority of the gospel. 
world-working grief bucks God and his authority, which eventually produces nothing but death. This is what Paul wants him to understand. There's no profit to them. There's no gain for them. So he's, in, he's encouraging them in the right direction. He, he appealed to the Corinthians because really overall, the troubles with Corinth had not been overcome. Yet in the midst of the strained relationship, one battle was won. All right. They received Titus. And, and really, they received Paul. So this chapter is overall very positive with Paul having great joy. I mean, count the number of times you see Paul using the word joy, rejoicing. So there's movement in the right direction or at the very least, the ship stopped moving in the wrong direction. Look, this rift between Paul and the Corinthian church, it was no private matter. It was the elephant in the room, right? But in reality, it wasn't about Paul it was about fidelity to the gospel. That's what it was about. When the love relationship between a church and her pastor is threatened, hurt feelings and accusations will continue to ensue. And unless action is taken, the action of the pastor to extend grace and mercy and the action of the members to repent, any kind of resolution between the two will not come to fruition. It just won't. Not to mention the fact the pastor probably needs to repent too. We all need to repent. That's how we come. As we just sang the songs that we just sang beforehand. So this part of Paul's letter, it centers on that threatened love relationship. And one of the best ways to handle that tension. No, he was strong at times with them, and rightly so. Here, he sought to win them. I, I was reading in my study, uh, this one writer, uh, um, is it Peter? No, 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 no. Now I can't remember his first name. Seyfried is his, is his last name. It was funny, he, he put this as a quote. Paul sought to win them with honey rather than vinegar. That, that resonated with me. Instead of trying to win them with, with vinegar, he, he thought about, Sugar for 21st century. Or to put it better, we're Susanna. They're not here today. Uh, chocolate. Use chocolate to win them. Don't win anybody over. Well, except for Michael Matthews. Uh, uh, cheesecake. How about that? Use sugar. This is what Paul does. He sought to win them using honey, sugar instead of vinegar to help foster this repentance in them. That's what he's doing. That's what this chapter's about. Okay? Now I have a series of questions. And we're going we're to answer those questions, okay? First, what does God working sorrow look like? Now I normally, I normally start in verse 2, but I'm going to kind of, whoa, go outside the box here. Go to verse 10. Verse 10. Where am I at? Okay. Verse 10, notice how he begins here in verse 10. For... The sorrow that is according to God works a repentance unto salvation without regret. What does God working sorrow look like? It shows itself in true repentance. When God does his grief work, it affects repentance unto salvation without regret. 
is the first of the two responses to the gospel. When you respond to the gospel, what are the two words that we use? Repent and trust or believe, right? Repent and believe. So when true God works sorrow comes, there's repentance. And, and, and notice, we, this is what it looks like, and, and notice how it produces something uh, there in verse 11. For behold, look, what earnestness is very thing, this sorrow according to God has produced in you. Look at what true repentance has brought to you, has worked in you, has produced in you. What is it? Eagerness, defense, indignation, fear, desire, passion, vindication. You look at all those things, you're like, wait, what? How is vindication? Or I used, I translated the word vengeance, right? You might be saying, how in the world is, is vengeance a good thing? Are you crazy? What version is that guy reading anyways? Right? This was a God work response in the relationship with Paul. What do I mean? They were eager to accept or support Paul and defend Paul. They had indignation toward the one who instigated a standoff with Paul. They had a fear of Paul's authority in a good way, a desire and a passion for Paul. They wanted to vindicate Paul in, in favor of Paul. This is what he's talking about. Instead of listening to the loyal opposition, the da 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 super apostles, overall, they embraced Paul. They started to move in this direction. And notice what he says here, the end of verse 11, and everything, you demonstrated or showed yourselves to be, and it's translated for you in the New American Standard, innocent in the matter. Another way to translate the noun is pure. And I take it in connection to the similar word that means sincere. So I believe Paul said they were sincere or pure in their response. Or in other words, they meant it. Paul is saying, in everything, in this whole situation, you showed yourselves to be pure in the matter. You really meant this. This is your, your reaction, your response to me. You really meant it. That's what he's saying. And verse 12, so although I wrote to you, not for the sake of the offended or the offender, not for the sake of the one offended, but for your earnestness on your behalf, on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. He's talking about the content and the concern of, you know, that letter, <clears throat> chapter two, verse four, the one that he wrote with tears, the one that brought major turmoil with, with, with the Corinthian church because he had to say some pretty hard things to them. He did not write that letter for this, his own sake. He didn't say, I'm, I'm going to write this. Letter. You know when you write that email to that person? Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, don't send it. Delete. <laughs> Accidentally send it. Oh, no. Right? No, he, he said, I didn't write this letter for my sake or for the sake of the one who had wronged him. He's talking about the guy who had done him injustice. 
He addressed the issue, yes, but in that letter, the Corinthians came to see themselves, notice what he says, in God's sight, that they were eager to accept, embrace, and defend Paul as their apostle, as their pastor. And it wasn't about Paul, per se, but about his calling and his mission. Uh, Here, I'll put it a different way. When a church truly embraces their pastor to be their pastor, they're truly embracing God's calling upon that man and God's mission for that man to that church to give them the truth. That's what he's saying. You guys embrace that. Yes, the Corinthians were guilty. And he's going to deal with that a little bit later on in the letter, more so. But, but Paul overlooked it by seeing things um, through the glasses of the gospel. Sometimes we just have to look at each other through gospel lenses. Through lenses of grace. Through lenses of compassion. Through lenses of mercy. That's what, that's what Paul does. Because the gospel, that is the issue, right? At least it should be. So that's what God working sorrow looks like. Hmm? Okay. What does world, look, world working sorrow look like? World working, 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 working. Tongue twister. Say that 10 times real fast. That's the last part of verse 10. But sorrow, the sorrow of the world works or produces death. In one instance, there's true repentance. In another instance, there's only regret. Because notice what he says before. Just before that part, he says, without regret. See that? He says, for the sorrow that is according to God works, how it's in the Greek, repentance unto salvation without regret, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So without regret, meaning that the sorrow of the world, it works death, it works regret. It's one thing to regret like Judas it's another thing to repent like Peter. Judas did not repent. He regretted. And then he committed suicide. Peter truly repented. Grief or world working grief versus God working grief, repentance. False Grief drains life and joy, bringing hopelessness. True grief brings life, joy, and hope in the God who destroys and yet restores. We'll talk more about that in a moment. True repentance leads to salvation. False repentance leads to bitterness, resentment. So God worked grief, leads to repentance, leads to salvation, World work grief leads to regret, leads to death, bitterness, no resolution. That's why the gospel must be the focus. So that means also, so tears cannot be a mark of true repentance. True God work repentance shows itself in a changed life. You didn't have the privilege, but Kayla and I had the privilege, and Carolyn too, of hearing about Debbie's life, how it just, it just changed. 
didn't it, Debbie? Just change. Her life just went, like a 180 degree turn, just, just like that ship, went, right? It totally did. We had the privilege of hearing about that in the membership interview with Debbie. It's a life change. This is the very heart of the gospel and our response to the gospel. If you're here, you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to repent and trust Christ. And when you repent and trust Christ, it's, it's a life change. It's not just to check a box off. It changes your whole outlook on life. So that's what world-working sorrow looks like. uh, Another question. What's the response to God-working sorrow? When you see God working in a person's heart and there's repentance, what's the response that comes? A prethora of responses. Love, confidence, boasting, comfort, joy. This is what you see from Paul. Verse 2 through 4, verse 13, verse 16. Look at verse 2. Make room for us. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. As a matter of fact, an injustice was done to Paul by one who openly resisted him. Now, why does he put this down here? Why does he say, we wronged no one, we corrupted no one, we took advantage of... Why, why, why does he put this here? Because he was accused... And so he responded to the accusation that he lacked care by not visiting them. He lacked care by the strong things he said in his letter. Chapter 2, verse 4. That letter, that third letter. The tearful letter. Plus, he, or they, did not take advantage of the church. In what way? They didn't get paid. They said, don't pay us. Don't do that. The Corinthians took offense to that. So he's responding to the accusations that he did not care, but he did. He loved them. Look at verse 3. I don't speak to condemn you. I've said before, you are in our hearts. He didn't seek to condemn them. On the contrary, the things he had said and done, it proved they were in his heart. He loved them. He loved that church. You kind of... Just, you scratch your head, you're like, Paul, just, the church just treated you just horribly. And yet he loved them. He really did. To Paul, it wasn't about winners or losers. There wasn't no sides. He sought their love. Paul had their best constantly in mind, contrary to their thinking. You're trying to take advantage of this, Paul. You trying to corrupt us, Paul? No, I'm on your side. He sought fellowship, reconciliation, and restoration with them, all of which is found in Christ, displayed in those statements to die and live together. Because in Christ alone, we have fellowship. That's why he puts that there to die together, to live together. We're, We're connected together. So stop bucking my authority, he's saying. Because I love you guys. Notice the sugar. More sugar. Verse 4. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. Here's the sugar. Here's the chocolate. Michael Matthews. Here's the cheesecake. He expressed such great confidence and boasting in the Corinthians. 
anticipating how they welcomed Titus. We'll look at it in a moment. Not that they were great in themselves. It's because of the work God had done in them in Christ. So he boasted. Look, he says, I am filled with comfort. Remember, they were the source of his affliction. They were the source of pain to Paul. But because of the report given to him by Titus, they had given him comfort. Or it's usually the opposite. Usually, the pastor gives comfort to the men, members, right? Interesting. Paul's saying, God used you guys, church, as a tool to be a comfort to me. You see that? In this way, Paul gave like a, I called it a God compliment to the Corinthians. This wasn't a relationship of dominance or dependence, though they accused him of that. No, members can give great comfort to their pastor. When they do this, when they respond this way, he's like, yeah, this is great. Love, confidence, comfort, joy. No, that's right. I'm overflowing with joy at our affliction. The our, I believe it's Paul and his associates. What's the affliction? The Corinthian church. And not other things too, yes. But, but he's talking about the Corinthian church. You guys have been amazing stories of good for me. And I'm just overflowing with joy because of, oh, you guys are moving in the right direction. He's just enamored. Uh, oh, wait, wait, oh. What did I say? Oh, here, here, here. Corinth was a difficult church, yet in spite of all his struggles and frustrations with them, he overflowed with joy because they made a step in the right direction. That Paul is just ecstatic. Uh, look at verse 13. For this reason, we'll, we'll look at that in a moment, in reference to his response, um, their response to him and the, the Titus. But for this reason, we have been comforted. The reason they were truly embraced him and who he really was, Paul and his associates, they're comforted by that. I mean, Paul was, he was modeling to the Corinthians, reconciling, forgiving love. His joy and comfort was this. They repented of defection and were zealous for him. When members of a church truly embrace Hebrews 13, 17, they realize it's for their benefit because a pastor gets joy when the people have joy in Christ and the people get joy when their pastor's joy is in Christ. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Let them do this with joy, not with grief, for there's no benefit to you. That's what that means. I get benefit when you are enjoying Christ. You get benefit when I'm enjoying Christ. It's all directed to Christ. We're serving one another for the joy of Christ, our joy in Christ, our joy in each other. This is what Paul's talking about, friends. And then look at verse 16. I rejoice in everything I have confidence in. And once again, Paul's joy. It didn't come from some long past obedience. He gained joyful obedience from the assurance of God's work in their heart right now. He had confidence in them because his confidence was in God. God does a work in the heart by Christ and his work always produces his desire effect. A battle has been won with this church, yet the war was not over. I understand that. 
He's still fighting for the love and affection. I know. Now, we'll look this quickly through this. God working sorrow as seen in their response to Paul. How did they respond to Paul? What, what happened? What took place? We'll take a few moments to look at how they did that with Paul and then how they did with Titus, okay? Go to verse five. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. He's picking up where he left off from chapter two, verse 12. He was in Troas. He helped him with Titus, didn't find Titus. He was anxious. He was freaking out. He left the open door. He went to Macedonia. And yet when we came there, our flesh had no rest. Afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. What, what happened? What's, we don't know. He doesn't tell us. He doesn't go into detail with the Corinthians, nor did he need to. But notice what he says in verse six. But God, who comforts the lowly, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Who is the one who comforts the lowly, the depressed, those in despair? God himself, God in his grace comforts us when we're brought low. And Paul understood what it meant to be low. God comforts us. He's not with the high mighty, as the Corinthians thought. He's with the lowly, the depressed. This is a comfort for you. If you're facing depression and lowliness and despair, this is a comfort for you. God is your comfort. Those who suffer humiliation brought upon them by God's providence, uh, action by enemies, circumstances beyond control. They'll find comfort in God and His grace. And this is what Paul's saying. By the coming of Titus, the means that God used to bring comfort to Paul was Titus coming to him. God uses means to comfort us. Notice verse 7, no? It wasn't just by His coming, but also, not His coming, but the comfort with which he was comforted by you, and they reported us your longing morning and your zeal for me. So I rejoiced even more. So there's three aspects. One, they found Titus. Two, Titus was just, wah, just excited. And three, he's, he's excited, so then we're excited. So it's, there's even more rejoice because they said, Titus said, they accepted you. Um, as Paul puts it, longing, mourning, zeal for me. Do you see that? Longing for Paul. Mourning over Paul. Zealous for Paul. This is the response to Paul. Given the tension with this relationship with this church, this is a big deal. They long for Paul and express sorrow over the broken relationship that ensued between them. They're broken over their tears Paul had shed. For the moment, the Corinthians in general zealously defended and affirmed Paul as their apostle, as their pastor. And that's why Paul says, because of this, I rejoice even more. He was jealous in his love for them. That's because Paul wanted to wed them to Christ. He'll talk about that in chapter 11, verse 2. Which is every true pastor's goal. Because it's not about me. No, the Corinthians say, you guys think that. Well, no, it's about Christ in you. Uh, look, look at verse 8 and 9. He says, for though I cause you sorrow by my letter, you know, that letter, I don't regret it. He didn't want to grieve them, which is why he wrote the tearful letter, and yet that letter grieved them, but he didn't regret it yet. He says, I did regret it. I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice. Verse 9, not that you were made sorrowful, 
that you were made sorrowful unto repentance, for you made sorrowful according to God. He did regret it because of the pain it brought them. Paul and pastors don't do things to get their way. All that we do is for the benefit of the body. And yet they grieved only for a little while. But when Titus arrived, he told Paul the reaction. Their grief had worked for their good because it produced in them repentance. So God wounded the church in order to heal it. And he did it by using Paul. They were grieved, he says, according to God. The Corinthians were used as instruments in Paul's life. And a church must realize that her pastor or pastors are used as instruments of God in their lives. It goes both ways. His wounds are whole and completely according to God's ways. God works his will to restore us, not to destroy us. And yet he must at times destroy us in order to restore us. God works his will to restore us, not to destroy us. Yet he must at times destroy us in order to restore us. He has our best in mind. That's the essence of the gospel. God strips us of our idols, doesn't he not? He strips us of our idols, which can really hurt. It can cause grief and pain. It doesn't feel good when you're stripped away from something that means a lot to you. But he restores and he saves. And then last, look at this God working sorrow seen in their response to Titus. Go to verse 13. He says, and besides our comfort, we rejoice even much more at the joy of Titus. Now he shares with them the joy Titus had over them because the spirit was refreshed. Why was the spirit refreshed? Because they had accepted and embraced Titus. Look, verse 14. For in anything I boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also, also our boasting before Titus proved to be true. What's he talking about? Paul boasts about Corinth to Titus. Oh, no, 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 no. Titus, they're going to accept me. I know it. Titus is like, I'm not so sure. No, 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 really. Titus, I don't know. When Paul heard the news about their response, he was not put to shame. Instead, his boasting proved to be true since he spoke truth to the church. That is, he spoke in the true gospel, truth to the church. It was proof. God had done a work in them. And, and why does he say this to Titus? Why does he say this about the Corinthians? Because he's trying to use the sugar rather than the vinegar. He wants to foster that repentance. Not that, he's not lying. He's not trying to butter them up either. He was pointing out a positive element. Their relationship was not secure. Yet by building upon this god work response, Paul hoped it would secure their allegiance to him. But really not to him, their allegiance to the gospel. So look at what he says there in verse 15. And his affection, that's Titus' affection, abounds all the more toward you. Why? He remembers. He has such passion for remembering their obedience to the gospel with Titus as an apostolic delegate You received him with fear and trembling. They had received Titus with fear and trembling. They obeyed him as if he was Paul, which meant they were really obeying God in the gospel. So you have all this taking place. A God working sorrow, world working sorrow. 
This is the response to the working that God was doing in their hearts. This is how it was seen in their relationship with Paul, seen in their relationship with Titus. One last point. That's why Paul says, therefore, make room for us. You see that in verse two? Go back. Verse two, make room for us. Make room for us. Uh, and, and by the way, it says make room for us in, their, in your hearts, which in your hearts is not in the original, but that's the intent of what he's saying. Receive me. Open your hearts to me. The tone changed. We want this to be resolved. Open your heart. Receive us. Receive me. The direction of the ship was moving in the right direction. Paul's trying to foster that. There's more to come. Battle's won. War's not over. (laughs) Hate to put it in that way, but that's how it was for the Corinthians. They fought tooth and nail with Paul. You'll see that. But for now, praise God for this work. God working sorrow works in the hearts of God's people by bringing to repentance so that they embrace God's word and the messenger of that word resulting in great joy and comfort for God's messenger and God's people. And Father, we pray that you would work in us by the power of the Spirit. You work in our hearts by bringing to repentance so that we embrace your word You have spoken to us from your word this morning. Bring great joy in us. Bring great comfort in us as your people. We take comfort in the cross of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. We thank you for that truth and there's true repentance that needs to come from us. Not just for the unsaved is this gospel message. It's for us, the saved. Work your work of repentance in us. Work your work of sorrow in us, we pray. And we be broken. And may there be repentance. Take this time, if you would, and ponder what we've seen from God's word. And after a few moments, we'll We'll worship in our giving. We'll worship with song. But if you would, I want to encourage you to just take this time and a time of silence between you and the Lord. Maybe reflect on your notes or uh, take some time in prayer. Just a few moments for you to ponder what we've seen from God's Word this morning.